Welcome to episode 18 of the Pirates of the Airways podcast, where I talk to some of the people involved in pirate radio during the 1970s and 1980s. This week we've got the second part of my chat with Bob Lawrence, Richard Thompson or Busby. Please choose your preferred name. This time we talk about the regulation of radio, the future of medium wave, the end of London Music Radio, Bob's time on the Mi Amigo, the Caroline 648 licence, his ILR career and plenty of other anorak stuff. So let's get going. Get back to your uh, timeline in a minute. (laughs) But I love this conversation because you're absolutely right. And it's one of the things I've been thinking about for a while is why, why did they regulate it so heavily in the first place? I can understand a certain amount of regulation, as in there's only a limited amount of spectrum, so you've got to be a bit careful. But one is the regulation wasn't just about space, it was about content. And two is that these days, and one of the reasons why I'm I'm not I'm not an anorak as in oh we must have medium wave in all this sort of thing, with, with the turn off of absolute and and the other ILR transmitters that are being turned off, it's the case of um, we had transmitters that we could talk to anybody because we plugged them in, and in a way other than them raiding us they couldn't stop us now it's pretty much everything is on the internet because it's digitized. Someone else has control over that. Whereas I would turn my transmitter on and turn my transmitter off and I would have control over it. And unless I was raided, pretty much do what I wanted. Um, and I think this is one of the things I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. And I, and I think there's an awful lot of people who are, and I can't quite understand why, but the turning off of, medium wave and FM does seem to be a a sort of, all that spectrum is available. Why not just use it? Why not just have it there? I know things move on and we've got DAB and that's fine. Um, But all that FM there, all those medium wave channels now, most of which are empty. Um, You know, there's a few stations from the continent and a couple left in this country and that's about it. I mean, I live in Shropshire and there's virtually nothing here. You know, I think, well, we'll talk about it later, but Sunshine, I think, is the, is the only thing locally that broadcasts a medium wave, and I'm not sure they're going to carry on much longer. But, it, I mean, I did hear a statistic that 3% of the audience listens on medium wave, and it's 30% of the cost of running a station is the medium wave transmitter power and upkeep. Well, you see, I, I've, I, yes, I can't, I can't disagree with a lot of what you say, but my thoughts, I don't know if you're aware of this, but but when I was back on Radio Caroline, the current Radio Caroline, the land-based Caroline, um, I, I said, look, why don't we apply for a medium wave license? Well, why would we do that? Well, because nobody's using medium wave. It's there and it's available. Long story short, we got a license and uh, Caroline now has a pretty powerful medium wave transmitter. And everybody keeps telling me that medium wave is dead 
that nobody will listen to it. My answer to that is twofold. I think if there is a station which is available on medium wave that I can't hear any other way, then I will listen to it on medium wave. Um, I don't know how much you know about psychoacoustics. I know practically nothing about psychoacoustics. But the little tiny bit that I do know is very interesting. And and it's true. What happens is, best place to do this is in the car. Listen to an FM station, or if you are a posh person, listen to a DAB station in the car. And after a certain amount of time, switch to a medium wave station. And the first thing that happens is your brain goes, what the sh- Oh, this is awful. Oh my God, it sounds like it's through an old sock. Oh, this is terrible. Stick with it. Within six, seven, eight minutes, your brain adjusts and your brain says, oh, okay, that's what I'm listening to. And you forget that it's medium wave. I also think what happened was the industry, the radio industry, with the advent of DAB, DAB, I'm sorry that I'm going to piss people off when I say this. This is what I honestly believe. DAB was a great gift to sales directors at radio stations because sales directors were sitting there saying, wow, we've got this audience. If only we could keep them. Whatever we did, if only we could stop them turning their dial. And then along came DAB. Now, for people, you take away the dial. That's exactly what you do. Yes, you can switch to another station. How do you do that? Well, you press that button, and then in the little window, you see a few letters, and it, it, it's, yeah, but how do I, you, and then you press that, I'll just stick with what I've got. You know what I mean? And so what happens is people of a certain age if you if you say to them how did you first discover that radio station oh i just tuned uh, uh, oh and it was there and, I, and well, you can't do that anymore and the other thing that happened roughly at the same time was the big medium wave operators i think and again i'm sorry I think they employ deaf chimpanzees to process their AM signal. And so these big AM stations were compressed to buggery and it was painful to listen to. It wasn't a nice experience. And what they did was they put out messages on their radio station saying, don't listen to us on 1297. Listen to us on this new DAB, because it's good. And, I mean, even Five Live, the BBC, I remember running this series of stuff saying, medium wave is shit. Don't listen to it. Listen to us on this. Don't, because it's horrible. No, seriously, if you listen to us on medium wave, you'll regret it. And, of course, people don't know, and it's that drip, drip, drip effect. It's marketing. After a while, you tell people that medium wave is awful, They believe it's awful. I readily accept that I'm probably in the minority. I like medium wave. I actually like listening to something and thinking this is a radio station as opposed to I'm listening to a CD. So, yeah, the quality is important, etc., but it ain't that important. And I'm lucky enough to have broadcast using AM stereo 
Now, AM stereo, what a revelation that was. Yes, you have a, a wider brand, bandwidth or whatever it's called, but the quality, it knocks spots off FM. It's got the warmth of medium wave. It's stereo, and there's more frequency response. It's fantastic. So tapping into what you were just saying, we're getting rid of all these stations on medium wave. Medium wave still exists. It will always exist. Nobody can abolish medium wave. Why aren't we doing something with it? Well, it's not in our interests to. That's fine. If the radio industry doesn't want to do it, why don't we open it up? Why don't we open it up to people who have got a vested interest who would say, yeah, I, I would like to run an AM stereo station or whatever it is. I'd like to do something with it. Well, it's, it's interesting you say this because I've had a conversation with someone who is quite closely connected with what's happening in uh, the Netherlands at the moment. And, and apparently what they are doing is they are handing out licenses on medium wave to to a lot of ex-pirates, basically, and there's still quite a few pirates there who they don't seem to be that interested in going to raid because the spectrum is there and it's available and they're not going to use it for anything. So why not let these people, you know, run radio stations on those frequencies? And to be honest, with the, with the demise of local radio, um, I, I personally feel that AM is, is something that could be used for that. It already is being used in some areas. And I know Leicestershire and certainly in Birmingham and London, there's various stations that are run as community stations on AM. You're right. People do have an issue with the quality. Um, but I also think you're right is that I think, you know, a lot of people will listen to, sit and listen to an album that was recorded digitally in a, you know, that costs millions to record. And they'll listen to it on tiny, 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 tiny microscopic speakers on their phone. All those, oh, I, I can't stand mobile phone headphones. They just drive me insane. I think they're uncomfortable to wear and I don't think they sound very good. Um, but I, I, is, is it quality or is it quantity? I mean, that's the thing. People will sit and listen to, you know, stuff on their phone because they've got everything at their fingertips. And, you know, we're back. Is it quality? Is it quantity? Um, I, I wonder. I do wonder about that. I can only speak with any authority on this country, the United Kingdom. We have never, en masse, we have never worried about quality. You know, most people going back a few years, you know, you'd get a hi-fi system from Woolworths and it sounded awful. Well, that's what people listen to because they're not interested in quality. It's just what it is. So this whole argument about, you know, and when it comes to DAB, you know, I mean, the whole digital thing. With with analog, if you're on FM and you start going out of the area, you'll get a little bit of that. With DAB, suddenly it's gone. Um, and And... This whole thing, you know, I listen to some FM stations, some internet stations too, and the amount of compression they have makes it painful to listen to. But I'm told that that's better. That's better than medium wave because they say so. They tell me. And of course, if I was not interested in, in broadcasting and audio, if I, you know, worked in a factory, or I wouldn't know. So, oh, well, they, they must know. That's good. That's what it should sound like. I, I, used, I used to work in the record industry a long time ago, back when it was, it was mainly vinyl, which is coming back, of course. But uh, 
you know, it was well known that, that certain companies pressed much better quality than others. And the top quality pressings were always Deutsche Grammophone, uh, which were all made in Germany, pressed in Germany, and had fantastically much higher quality than anything in the pop music world. Um, because I think they worked on the assumption that pop music people weren't that interested in quality. Um, they just wanted quantity. Whereas with classical music fans, it was about quality, not quantity, you know, and they pressed a lot fewer songs and never really made any money out of things like that, but they felt they had to do it. But it was quite interesting. If you look at a Deutsche Grammophone vinyl, it looks so much cleaner and better and better done than anything anything pop music wise. Anyway, this, this is the way these conversations always go, Bob. I tell you right now, because we are all radio obsessives and all have our own feelings about how it should go and and what what should happen. I'm going to go back. Let's go back about half an hour to uh, <laughs> London Music Radio. What happened in the end with London Music Radio? Why why did it all? Did you leave before the end, or did it just all fizzle out? It's a very good question, and um, I when I knew we were having this chat, I asked myself that same question. And I don't know. And I thought, well, hang on, hang on. Um, so I, I made a few phone calls and, oh, don't you remember? We all had a big argument. No. Um, apparently, we all had a big argument. And we ended up apparently with two London music radios on at the same time one particular Sunday because there was a big argument. And apparently, I went off with th this breakaway group and we put what was LMR on, but what was left of LMR. So I had no idea about all of this. And then it kind of just fizzled out from there. But the interesting thing is, oh, I don't know when it would have been, seven or eight years ago, there was a big reunion, LMR reunion. And we all sat in the, in the same room and we laughed and we joked. And I had no idea at that point that we'd had this big row. So whatever the row was about, I can't remember, but it's obviously all been um, fixed now because, you know, I, I I don't have contact with many of the guys, but um, occasionally I get Facebook messages from, you know, Mark Ellis and um, um, there's never been a, a suggestion that, that I, I don't know, I don't know how big the row was. I don't, well, ultimately it must have been very big because... That's what put an end to the station. But for a, for a, a week, apparently there were two LMRs, and then it was just to start decided that was it. Um, we'd come to the end of the road, which was, you know, I, I mean, I'd like to say it was sad, but I can't remember it. So, um, but looking back, it it must have been sad because it was it was a good little station, and it was well received, and and as I say, it um, it tried to fill the gap that Kaleidoscope left. What I do remember is that um, Christmas... I mentioned earlier we did this... We planned this big Christmas broadcast, Christmas 76. And then Christmas 77, we put on Music Radio 270. Um, and we had no desire to be a regular weekly pirate or whatever. But we just put on this station, which... I think came on Christmas Eve and went off on Boxing Day and we did a whole weekend, the Christmas weekend of live radio um, as Music Radio 270. And that was a few of the the, the LMR people. Um, so 
um, so whatever it was, I think was was probably sorted out quite quickly. Um, and then yeah, so Christmas '77, Music Radio Two Seven O, and then into '78. I don't think I did any pirate activity in '78 until the summer when I went off to the North Sea. Yeah, tell tell me more about the North Sea thing. You, obviously, you've you've spoken already about um, handing cassettes to various people that you knew were involved. Um, this was, I assume, this was in the Mi Amigo days. And uh, and tell us a little bit about that. Lots of people, you know, I never never managed to get out there. I wish I could have done, but I, I was seventy uh, seven. I was only fourteen years old. So. <laughs> But um, yeah, tell, tell me more about that. Well, I was um, I was uh, in seventy four, for example, seventy four. I loved Radio Atlantis. Radio Atlantis was this terrible signal, but my God, it was a fun station to listen to, and it was pure top forty Pam's jingles. It was an anorak's dream. I loved it, but I also loved Caroline. Now, Caroline was the exact opposite of that. It was playing album music. The presenters were more laid back. It was it was diametrically opposed. I loved them both. <clears throat> but I, I got more and more into Caroline as a listener because of the music it was playing. And it was it just and and and, you know, I just wanted to get out there. And um, I mentioned Terry, who was part of LMR and, and Terry. Um, Terry spent some time looking after generators. Um, not full-time, but he would go out every few months and I don't know what he did, you know, changed filters or whatever you do with generators. And so he knew the Caroline people. He passed on a tape. It got rejected. I did a second tape. It got rejected. I did a third tape and she rang me and said, it's better, but I'm not sure. And then she rang me a couple of weeks later and said, um, one of the guys has left and we need somebody to go out. Have you got your bag packed? And so I went out. The Caroline Road Show, every hour on the hour. Live from the North Sea on 319 metres, 962 kilohertz, this is Europe's first and only album station. Radio Caroline. And we'll look at tonight's weather. It will be mainly cloudy and some areas may have some light rain. The minimum temperature will be 14 degrees centigrade. Winds southwesterly and light to moderate. Tomorrow mainly dry with some occasional sunny intervals. Uh, the maximum temperature 24 degrees centigrade. Winds southwesterly and moderate. And on a calm North Sea, the current Mi Amigo temperature is 16 degrees centigrade. <laughs> Good morning, welcome. I'm Richard Thompson, and this is Madrigada. And it was the summer of 78. I did my first trip, six weeks on board, loved it, came off of my shore leave, and within a week or so, the station had gone off the air, and it stayed off the air for six months. But during that six months, um, I kept going back to the ship, um, and that winter of 78 was awful. I mean, it was it was just, you know, this is, I'll, I'll keep this brief because it's straying slightly away from what we're here to talk about. But we had no idea from day to day. We had no idea when the next tender was going to come. We ran out of food. The legend, Tony Allen, you know. 
Do you want some sound effects of a dog going ballistic? Get a dog, they said. It will be company for you, they said. <clears throat> um, the legend that, 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 that still is Tony Allen was just cooking. We, we got down to sardines, tinned sardines. And Tony, th these were in the, we had a huge room, which was the food store. There was nothing in it apart from these sardines in rusty tins. And he said, you know, I'm absolutely convinced they were there in 1972 when I first joined the ship. And um, so you'd kind of think, well, that's all we've got to eat. So open a tin of sardines. Here is some sardines. No, Tony would cook them somehow and make the most amazing food. But it was a bleak time and um, it was very, very worrying. And then, you know, six months later, it came back on and um, it was fantastic. It was just wonderful experience and I without question I look back on it as the happiest time of my life um just being on a ship playing all this music that I loved um and then I came off the ship in January 1980 and I said to Rob Eden I'm not going back I've had enough and he said what, what's happened and I said well and I told him about some stuff that was going on on board the ship, which had, had pissed me off greatly. And Rob, bless him. And I still speak to Rob now. But Rob, I remember it like it was yesterday. And he just laughed. And I was my nickname at the time was Busby. And he just said, Busby, take a couple of weeks and think about it and give me a call. Well, I did. And so I gave him a call. Rob, I want to go back again. Uh, and then the ship sank. And um, tragically, that was the end of that. But um, fantastic experience. And uh, and did you ever go back uh, on the Ross Revenge? No. When the Ross came back, um, I remember speaking to Tom Hardy. Sadly, departed, and um, and he said they don't. Annie Chalice was running it, and he said they don't want anybody who'd been on the Mi Amiga apart from Tom Anderson and uh, Andy Archer. And I said, oh, why is that? He said, I don't know, but they don't want anyone who'd been on the Mi Amiga. So um, when it came back on the Ross, I was a listener um, until it went 558. And I couldn't quite understand why Caroline 558 would do what it was doing. But anyway, um, um, that did change. I think sort of 86-ish, they started bringing back some of the Johnny Lewis, Nigel Harris. These people went back. But um, by that time, I'd moved to Birmingham. Um, and I guess I was into that whole career thing. I'm on the ladder now and I, you know, I really should um, stick with it. Um, I got married and all of that stuff. And um, so, no, I never did the Ross. So you, Caroline sinks, as we know, um, in 1980. Uh, what's your next move in, in radio? Where do you go next um, as far as radio is concerned? Um, BRMB. I'd set up, um, the ship had sunk, and I'd set up with Cliff, who I mentioned, and Terry, who I'd mentioned. We set up a cable radio station in Greenwich on the, the old Greenwich cable uh, TV thing and we set up a station called Greenwich Sound and um, that was okay and then and then we go right back to 
Radio Watchdog. CQ, CQ, Radio Watchdog. And um, a guy called John Brocks. And um, John said, John was working for Devon Air Radio in Exeter. And John said, um, why don't you come down and learn how to voice? So I said, okay. So I used to go down to Devon Air, not every weekend, but certain weekends. And it was fantastic. They used to leave the newsroom window open by about half an inch um, because by the time I got there, the reception had closed. I used to go round the back of the building, open up the newsroom window, climb through the window, drop my overnight bag off in the newsroom, climb back out the window, close the newsroom window, go over to the pub, and I'd spend the weekend with them. And uh, their commercial producer was a guy called Mike Jones, who used to be in The Settlers, um, who had the big hit with Lightning Tree. And Mike Jones was... He's another one that's no longer with us, but what a fantastic bloke he was and very talented. And Mike taught me how to be a voiceover. Um, so we're in 1980 into 81. I'm doing Greenwich Sound and going down to Devon Air. And Mike said to me one day, there's a job going at BRMB. I applied for the job at BRMB. 1981, I'm at BRMB. And... They are Di, Diane Langdon. Thank you uh, for your support over the last uh, 15, 16 months or so. Genesis from A Trick of the Tail and Ripples. Uh, as I said earlier on, problem with mentioning one name is you, you really can't do it. You, you've got to mention other people, people like, uh, people like Stuart Morell, of course, uh, big big supporter of the program and karen english karen was uh was an amazing lady karen used to drive up from exeter in devon to listen to the program which is amazing but true uh, and of course gainer gainer andrews in southern coalfield uh, biggest nils lofgren fan in the world and a uh, staunch supporter of this program thank you uh thank you very much i think we're going to play some more music at prmb the rest prmb beacon signal radio all sorts of stuff um in mainstream radio and I was very very fortunate because I spent that time with Mike um I just ended up doing voiceovers more and more so um right so you so you you went around the stations of the West Midlands basically for for a period but I also have um on good authority that you did uh, a little bit of work on Sunshine Radio in Ludlow while it was still a pirate. Um, and someone who lives in Shropshire now, and as, as I've pointed out, it's one of the few medium wave stations I can still hear. I'm intrigued by that because it was a 24-hour pirate at the time. It was a great pirate. It was fantastic. It was, for those of you who don't know the geography of Shropshire, uh, Ludlow is a market town in Shropshire. It's, um, it's, it's a traditional country market town, very respectable. You know, you, you go there and have a nice cup of tea and a scone whilst doing your shopping. It's that kind of place. It's actually known as a, food, a foodies town now. Well, it wouldn't surprise me. And there was a bloke called Graham, a local lad called Graham. And Graham just decided he was going to put on this pirate station. And so he did. But unlike the pirate stations that I was used to with cassette tapes, no, 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 this was all live and it was 24 hours. And he got he got the community involved with it. And they didn't give a flying 
F whether it was pirate or not. It was their local station for Ludlow. And all of Ludlow listened to it. And, of course, with my background, I just had to go and have a look at this place. So I went to have a look. I thought I was just going to have a look. And um, the station at the time was coming from his garden shed at the bottom of the garden. And uh, I wandered in, and it was late afternoon, and I remember the jock who was on said, Ah, Bob's walked in, and um, you're on at six, aren't you? Pardon? (laughs) You you follow me at six, Bob? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm on at six. What? So... I, I, <laughs> I was working at BRMB at the time, and BRMB was a very uh, straight-laced station. You know, it was. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll save that story for another time and and think about whether I can tell it. But anyway, so. I thought, oh, my God, well, I can't go on as Bob Lawrence because I'm on BRM. But, well, um, uh, I can't be Richard Thompson because uh, he's called me Bob. I'll be Bob Thompson. So um, Bob Thompson did six till eight one one day on Sunshine Radio in Ludlow. It was, I mean, I wish I had a recording of it. And, I, and you know, the chances are so minute that anybody did record it. But um, Graham is is another one. When it comes to land-based radio, outside of the big, big cities, there was this pirate station, which, you know, he he earned a living from it. Um, it. It had proper paid commercials. It had the leader of the council who would turn up every week and give a resume of what had been going on in in the council building that week. Um, It was just a great station. Um, It went legal and it became what you'd expect of a legal station. But when it was a pirate, oh my God, it was great. Really good station. That, that that's interesting because obviously, as I've mentioned, you know I live in Shropshire and it's it's the only sort of medium wave thing I can hear that's not a not one of the national medium waves, um, and I've seen many videos about about sunshine, uh, and it, it never ceases to amaze me how they just did it and and nobody seemed to be that fussed about the fact they were doing it. Um, I, I think it's probably the attitude of of. Uh, the shires, for the want of a better phrase, at the at the time. So, um, so after after your foray into ILR, um, just quickly on the ILR thing, how do you feel about the demise of ILR? People keep saying to me that um, commercial stations can't survive any longer without being part of a major group, and they point at all these examples. You see, this this is closed down and that's closed down. That now takes, you know, greatest hits or heart or whatever. The irony is it's never been easier from a technical point of view and from a financial point of view, never been easier to run a radio station. Now, if you look at BRMB, I spent many years at BRMB. It was on four and a half floors of a huge building in Birmingham. And there were studios on the top floor. 
program offices on the fourth floor, accounts and engineering on the third floor, sales on the second floor. All of that can be done above a newsagent's nowadays with a couple of computers. Well, I, I sort of think Radio Jackie proved that in their 24-hour days. Absolutely did. They paid from above a shop. I think they had three offices there and a telephone line and ran it. And if you listen to the Nick Catford podcast, he'll tell you. They ran it. They paid union rates. They offered um, the copyright money to the copyright agencies who wouldn't take it. They paid tax. Um, you know, it was a proper business. They, you know, they played paid PAYE to about 20 employees. Now, people would say that's because they, you know, they didn't have this. But but they wanted to pay all these things and weren't allowed to. Um, and the fact that Radio Jackie still now exists as an independent radio station, I think it proves a point as well. Well, I mean, the point I'm making is exactly what you say, or trying to make anyway, is exactly what you say, that if a station set up to cover the 2 million TSA of BRMB nowadays, it wouldn't need four and a half floors. It would need you know, a couple of offices, arguably just one office. So all those overheads that BRMB had straight out the window, you know, with, with accounts, you know, we used to have, what, four or five people in accounts. I don't think you need that now. You need a software package that you buy online from Amazon and it arrives the next day. And there's your accounts department. And and you can apply that throughout the whole thing. So I think the argument that they cannot sustain uh, a 2 million TSA independently is is nonsense. And I think the technology that we have now has made everything. I mean, even down to the fact that you don't even need a studio, really. I mean, if you if you wanted to, you could run 24 hours a day using remote um, DJs, presenters, whatever. Um, so all of those overheads are gone. So I don't understand why the authorities don't say, look, Heart FM. Now, I'm not somebody who will knock Heart FM. I can't listen to it. It's not for me. But I think it does what it does really, really well. Keep Heart FM on. And, you know, you'd need to speak to Laurie or Piers or somebody with a greater technical brain than me. But give them four or five transmitters to cover the whole of the UK rather than 36 transmitters. Those individual transmitters, those traditional commercial radio station radio stations, advertise them again. Advertise them. So Heart FM is still national. It's still on the air covering the whole of the UK. But, you know, Marcher Sound in Wrexham is up for grabs and somebody can put on a radio station for Wrexham. And, you know, to, to turn around and just glibly say, we do not believe it would be sustainable financially. Well, that's nonsense. But we have a proven track record in this country that, oh, that won't work because we tried it. I, I still do not understand why somewhere like Coventry, Birmingham maybe, certain areas, let's just, for argument's sake, say Coventry, a country station in Coventry, I believe, would go down a storm, an absolute storm. 
Ah, uh, yeah, but we tried country. We tried country 1035 in London and it didn't work. There's no appetite for it. Yeah, but has it ever occurred to you that it could be because country 1035 wasn't very good? It didn't actually appeal to country. Uh, this is a true story. I was driving down the M1, really excited, um, because I'm an anorak, really excited. I'm going to hear Country 1035. And I got to sort of Luton or somewhere, oh, tuned in 1035. And this is true. The first song I heard on Country 1035 was Status Quo. I don't like them at the best of times. <laughs> I rest my case. I rest my case. It's interesting what you're talking about with this, about the money, because one of the things that a lot of people don't realise is that the restrictions that were put on the ILR stations, one, they had to pay huge transmitter prices because the IBA at the time owned the transmitters and the, the stations, or the franchisees as they were rented, they were just programme providers. The other thing was the equipment designs. Now, there's two stories about this. One was when um, Laurie and Martin set up KISS FM legally in Holloway Road. Uh, they were told by the uh, IBA at the time, or Ofcom, whoever it was that was regulating, they weren't allowed to use proper DJ decks, the the uh, uh, Technics SL120s, because there was too much rumble. And as Laurie pointed out, nobody cares. The people who were listening to Kids FM before didn't care about the rumble. And the other thing was I used to work, or I did some work placement at LBC way back in the late 70s, early 80s. And... They were very upset a lot of the time. It's when they were at Gough Square and they had a booth built in the newsroom to do news broadcasts from, direct from the newsroom and not have to go through to the main studio. The IBA wouldn't let them use it because it didn't meet their regulations for soundproofing. Now, I think this was one of the problems is the amount of money needed to, to set up and run one of these stations was astronomic because the costs were artificially high. The standards that were required were just absurd. You know, when, when a radio station in America gets a licence and they're broadcasting literally from a garden shed, you know, with six kilowatts, <laughs> you know, across half a state. And, you know, there'll, there'll be a station, as you say, like, like Mercia Sound in Coventry, you know, which took like something like quarter of a million pounds to set up. Um you know, very successful at their time. But of course, that is not sustainable. Those kind of costs are not sustainable. And an ILR also had restrictions on how much needle time, how much local news programming they had to produce. Now, you know, I do think there should be an amount they do have to produce. But, you know, in this day and age, a station could run in Coventry, for example, a local radio station could run in Coventry, and believe me, they do not want to be connected with Birmingham. You know, as far as they're concerned, they're Coventry, they're not Birmingham. And you could run that on a full-time daytime staff, volunteer evening time staff, for a fraction of the cost of running um, an ILR station back in the day, or, or even, you know, e even a, a local station now. And I just think that they're missing a trick um, with this. And there's lots of community stations out there, but they have their own restrictions. Only a certain amount of revenue is allowed to be raised by commercials. The rest of it has to be raised from other sources. They are tying the hands of all these radio stations because they think this is what people should be doing. Now, I think the internet will change that. I think people will start to do this. And I have heard rumours of a number of 
what they like to call heritage names coming back. Victory are already there and surviving very well in Portsmouth. They get a good audience. You know, they've got a good profile there. It's called Victory Online, but it's more or less the same logo. And they've even got some of the former presenters there. I certainly know that on the east coast of Yorkshire, they've, didn't, they've done the same sort of thing. And I've heard rumours about other major city stations, which I won't talk about just in case. But, um, you know, I think there is a market there. I really, you know, it's something I've always talked about. So you, you, you talk about Yorkshire, and my mind straight away went to Yorkshire Coast Radio, which for years survived. It was one of the smallest commercial stations. It had incredible listening figures year after year after year after year. The same in Carlisle, uh, CFM, year after year, you know. Which has just been swallowed up into the hits network. Correct. Now, my point is that with what we're both just talking about here, the advances in technology, Yorkshire Coast Radio and CFM could continue with their huge audiences, but their outgoings would be slashed considerably because of the advances. So why can't they continue? Well, they can't continue because we have to... I pause because, you know, I realise I don't want to beat the... Beat? Eat? (laughs) Don't want to um, bite the hand that feeds me. And I am a voiceover and I get work from a lot of these radio stations. But I would go as far as to say what we have now is pretty much what we had in 1964 before famously Radio Caroline came along and broke the monopoly. We've got these existing groups that just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And what they do is they make more and more and more profit. And because they are effectively sending a feed to a transmitter, there's no real outgoings. It just gets more and more and more. Now, what I'm talking about with 1964, I'll give you a great little example. A couple of years ago, a few years ago, a band contacted me and I really liked their music. They were really good. And um, I used to play them on my show and I suddenly thought, you know what? This would suit national radio station, unnamed national radio station, down to a ground. It's their kind of music. And I knew a guy who was on air. And I said to him, have a listen to this. And he, wow, that's brilliant. And I said, am I right in saying it's it's the kind of thing that your station would play? Oh, yeah. I said, can you, you know, bung it through to the head of music? Yeah, I will. And um, he went in to the head of music and said, have a listen to this. And the guy went, wow, this is really good. As he was listening, he was tapping away on a computer. He's still listening, tapping away. And he went, hmm. And my friend said, what? And he said, well, they haven't got much uh, internet presence. And he said, okay, and? Yeah, but you see, um, um, on their whatever page, they've only got 20,000 likes. And my friend said, yeah, but, you know, what about us playing it? He said, well, we can't because they're not big enough. What? Well, they haven't got a big enough fan base. And this head of music agreed 
that it was a great song, it would be perfect for their radio station, but they couldn't play it because they weren't big enough. And that takes us back to we're back where we were. We've got all these radio stations, (laughs) but of course they're all taking the same program output, and to get a record onto the playlist... You know, it's like listening to Ronan O'Reilly say, you know, I went to Radio Luxembourg. I mean, you know, you couldn't get a record play. I mean, that's the thing, you know, and, and, and you know, start a radio station. That's the best Ronan O'Reilly uh, impression I've ever heard, by the way. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, you know, at that time. And, and you know, and, and that's the thing. It needs a, a 21st century version of Ronan and a 21st century of what Caroline uh, did to actually break all this. But where that's going to come from, I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't know either. And and it's a conversation that we could probably have for the next two and a half hours if if, if we had that time available. So what what does, what's um, Bob Lawrence doing now? What's what's after after the ILR and so on? I assume you then went into voiceovers. Yeah, I kind of... Um... I I ended up doing more and more voiceovers and less and less radio, um, which was okay because I kind of outgrew mainstream commercial radio, and um, so it it because I was earning a really good living as a voiceover, it meant that I could go back to square one, where radio was a ho- radio presentation was a hobby. And I wasn't earning any money from it. But instead of going into a field on a Sunday and doing my show, I was able to do my show and um, the Bob Lawrence album collection at the moment um, is back on. And that's on Fantasy Radio, which is a uh, community station in Devizes in Wiltshire. Uh, It goes out on a Saturday night. And once a week, I just have the time of my life playing album music. And uh, it's a three-hour show. It's fantastic. It's got a sponsor. Um, so, yay, happy days. Um, I, almost two years ago now, ventured eventually. I was constantly, a friend of mine runs a voiceover coaching company. She's a voiceover herself. We've known each other for 30-odd years. And she was always saying to me, come and be a coach. Come and be a coach. No, I don't really want no, that. Yeah. And I thought, okay, let's give it a go. And so now I split my time between my radio show, being a voiceover, and being a voiceover coach. And um, it's fine, you know, it's, it's, it's good. Um, in terms of radio, I can never, ever see a day where I won't listen to the radio. Let me qualify that by saying I don't actually listen to very much live radio now. I Many people would say I'm quite sad, but what I do is listen to old recordings of radio, um, complete radio shows. I mean, not just, you know, air checks with Pam's jingles. <laughs> um, I just listen to old radio shows um, because they they – they satisfy what it is I'm looking for uh, far better than what's available now. I find that if I listen to radio, mainstream radio now, I spend most of my time shouting at the radio. Um, and you just have to accept, I guess, that it's moved on and it's not for me. You know, it's made for people other than me now. 
Um, there's a massive opportunity with internet radio, and I think there are one or two very interesting stations which are internet-only stations. Um, there's a lot of dross, but there are one or two good good examples in there. So I can't see a day when I, I will stop listening to radio. I cannot see a day when I will throw my anorak away. You know, I if it's in you, it's in you. Um, and I think that will always be the case. Um, I, I do sometimes, as I get older, I do sometimes think it's a curse. I, I do sometimes think, why can't I just be like everybody else and listen to radio too and just go, this is nice, isn't it? Um, or heart FM or greatest hits, whatever it may be. But, um, so, so Bob Lawrence in 2023 is, um, is yeah, doing all right. Um, still an anorak at heart, always will be an anorak at heart. Um, I guess the saddest thing is that as I, as I get older, I'm, I'm losing so many memories, which were scarce anyway. Um, um, but that's where the Facebook group comes in handy, you know, just seeing names in there and you go, oh yes, I remember that fella. Or, oh, I remember that funny jam jar thing with the glowing light inside, a valve or whatever it's called. Um, so, um, long may the website continue. Uh, that's what I say. Thank you. Well, I'm going to keep it going as long as I'm still here. So <laughs> that's the idea anyway. Um, I come up to the end of my last couple of questions and I, I like to try and get down to the pirate radio thing again. So what's your best or proudest moment in pirate radio? My proudest moment. I think I'm going to stretch it a little bit because it's not quite pirate radio, but I think the thing that I am most proud of is running, starting and running the campaign to get Radio Caroline a medium wave transmitter. And everybody said, you're nutty. The best you can hope for is they'll give you a one watt license on medium wave. And, um, had some very good chats with people like Laurie Hallett, who was <laughs> extremely helpful and extremely supportive. Um, and I think we're in this funny stage now where people say, oh, yeah, Caroline on 648. Uh, no, well, hang on a minute. This is Caroline on 648 covering the whole of the southeast of the UK. You know, yeah, but it's only medium wave. Yeah, it's only medium wave, but it's Caroline. You know, I, I talked about those six months um, on the Mi Amigo where we didn't even have a transmitter. You know, we we didn't have any food or any water or any fuel. And we were sitting on a rusty old ship, which ultimately lost its life. And now Caroline has got this big transmitter. Um so I'm very, very proud of that. I think that's my my proudest. Um, um, in terms of pure pirate radio, when I look back at, you know, sitting in fields, it's fun. That's what I remember. It's fun. It's laughs. It's, um, it's just, it's just, 
a laugh. But, but we were doing something worthwhile. And I'm certainly not ashamed of what I did. I'm kind of ashamed when I listen to air checks of me at the time. But, uh, you know, there's not a lot I can do about that. I was crap, and that's just the long and the short of it. Um, I guess I guess the answer, Mark, would be I'm proud of the fact that I did something. I'm proud of the fact that I've met so many people in my life who have said, oh, what was it like on the Mi Amiga? I wish I'd done it. I wish I'd done it. And I can't tell you how many people say that to me. Well, I did do it. And I did do land-based pirate radio. And again, all of us, all of us who did land-based pirate radio, for whatever our reasons, we put our neck on the chopping block. We risked prosecution. And, you know, we... All of us, all of us ex-pirates, we can all sit there and go, yeah, whatever, yeah, and we play it down. But there were a lot of people who were too frightened to do it. Um, their situation wouldn't enable them to do it. Their mum wouldn't let them, their wife wouldn't let them, whatever it might be. We did it. And it's very easy to not even include us when we're talking about the history of broadcasting in this country. Um, but we know the truth. And so I'm proud of the fact, I guess, that I stood up, put my hand up and said, yeah, I want some of this. I'll give this a go. And, and I'm proud of the fact my dog barks at any given opportunity. I, I know what you're saying about, about it, and I'm very proud of it, and, and my wife, who I didn't know at the time, uh, you know, and of, you know, we've, we've been together just over 10 years now. So she knew nothing of my radio past when she met me. And she says, you should be proud. You should be proud of what you did. You should be proud. Of it's one of the reasons I started the Facebook group, because I think an awful lot of people forget, you know, they'll listen to Kiss now and all the spin-offs from that. But I know, you know, that that used to come from my mate's front room in, in Walthamstow for quite a while. And people don't realise Kiss was a pirate. And people don't realise Centre Force, who were on DAB now, were a pirate or Solar or any of these stations. And I think that we did do a lot. I think we, well, I know we changed the way that radio is done in this country. Um, whether that has subsequently gone back the other way, which I think it probably has, is another thing. But I think for a while, for a little while, it was about what are the pirates doing? We need to try and do that as well. You know, right down to laser, um, you know, and Radio 1 copying laser. Um, right then, the other question, the person who has been most influential uh, or you most admire in the pirate radio world? I was asked in an interview recently who, were my, who was my big influence as a broadcaster. And I gave three names. Roger Scott, and the other two were pirates, and that's Tony Allen and Brian McKenzie. And when I've mentioned Brian McKenzie to people, I've got some raised eyebrows. Really? Really? Yeah. And I, I remember listening to Brian McKenzie on Radio North Sea, and he was, he had this ability to be working on a pop station and yet have some kind of 
I'll use the term, grown-up sensibility about it. And Tony and Brian, both of them, had this amazing ability to talk to me. Only me. When they were on the air, you might have been listening, Mark, but they weren't talking to you because they were talking to me. It was just me. And yet, it wasn't this kind of, oh, hello, how are you? This is BBC Local Radio. Isn't it cold today? Oh, don't forget to put the... You know, it wasn't that kind of talking to me. It was just the kind of talking to me that you and I are doing now. Um, and I learned so much from both of them. I miss Tony so much. I, I, I never met Brian. I've conversed with Brian um, on direct messenger or whatever it's called. But Tony, I worked with and knew very well. And, you know, people, people will talk about Tony's volatile nature. And he did have a volatile nature. Um, it was generally as a result of alcohol or other substances. But a warmer more caring human being you would struggle to meet a more giving person professionally you know he was he was just great with advice and if you ever get some time on your hands and you've got access to it the recordings are available listen to tony allen when the mi amigo sailed from holland back to the uk and he was the only disc jockey who said, I'm going to broadcast from the ship. The rest, I, I spoke to Tony about this, and he said, no, the, the rest were going to, but as the day got closer, they just decided they weren't going to. Tony was running all the Mi Amigo programs on cassette during the day, and then he was on air at night with an engineer. But if you listen to Tony at midnight, when that Dutch law came into effect, and you listen to the quality of that broadcast and then, then you work out that this guy was only 24 years old when he was making this broadcast. Listen to Tony when he was 16 years old on Radio Scotland. It's just phenomenal. Um, so the answer to your question in terms of pirates, Brian McKenzie and Tony Allen, no question. I've I've had conversations with people about Tony Allen before and he, he's held with fantastic affection amongst those who knew him and worked with him. Uh, Steve Marshall, in one of the previous podcasts, he worked with him on The Voice of Peace and in Ireland said he was just an incredible broadcaster, uh, unique. Uh, I feel the same way about Roger Scott, to be honest. It, it's part of my childhood listening to Capital Radio and I... And I listen to listen to him now and I cannot believe how good he is and how much wasted time we all had not really taking much notice because he was on Capital Radio. Um, but he was he was remarkable as, as a broadcaster. He had he had more than anybody else that I've ever listened to, he had the ability to, I don't know, maybe a 12-second link. That's all it was. He would put so much personality into that. 12 seconds, even though there's a lot of information in there as well. And he was a master of the raised eyebrow. You could hear that raised eyebrow in his links and um, a fantastic broadcaster. Yeah. 
Bob Lawrence, thanks ever so much for uh, giving us some of your time and your memories and talking about radio. And we can tell the passion you have in your voice for it. And I think, you know, we all feel that way about radio. We may not all agree, but I think we all know that we love the medium uh, a lot. And uh, that really comes across. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. And can I... Can I just put a little plug in here, which you might edit out, I don't know. But if you're interested, I wrote a novel which was based on my experiences on the North Sea. And if you go to Amazon and just put in The Last Great Adventure for Boys by Bob Lawrence, you can have a look at a novel. And if you are vaguely interested, um, have a read of this because it's all based on... No, a lot of it is based on fact, Um, but you might enjoy it. But, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Anytime you want to talk radio, you know where I am. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Bob. Thanks for listening to my chat with Bob Lawrence, and thanks to Bob for taking the time out to talk to me. If you've got any comments or would like to feature on a future episode, then just email me at piratepod7080 at gmail.com or get in touch via the Facebook group, Landbase Pirate Radio of the 70s and 80s, as have many of you, and thank you very much for that. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, then please buy me a coffee. As did Dave. He bought me three coffees. Thank you, Dave. Just go to buymeacoffee.com and search for Mark Wakeley in the creator's search. Thank you very much. Don't forget to like, review, follow or subscribe if you don't want to miss another episode. We'll be back with another Pirate Radio guest in a couple of weeks. Until then, stay safe. And remember, keep a good lookout during those tape changes. Radio Nova, broadcasting on 14.04 kilohertz of the medium wave band, 212 meters. Unfortunately, we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting. This is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment. We'll return you to normal broadcasting just as soon as we can. This is a 1386 audio production.